Chapter 4 I found a payphone that wasn't being used. I punched in Jake's number and waited while it rang. Be home, I thought, chewing on my bottom lip. Four. Five. Six. Hello? Jake? I blurted, clutching the receiver. No, this is Tom. I froze. Tom, Jake's older brother, my cousin, a controller, and the last person I wanted to talk to. I had to be careful. Very careful. Hi, Tom, I said casually. It's Rachel. Is Jake around? Yeah, hold on. The receiver clunked down. Hurry, I thought, glancing back at Spencer's. A group of three girls were heading in. Hello? Jake, I shouted into the phone. Where the... Where are you? Huh? He said, sounding confused. Okay, Rachel. Careful now, just in case anyone is listening. I can't believe you forgot, I said, lowering my voice but trying to sound annoyed. You were supposed to meet me and Cassie at the mall half an hour ago. We've been waiting in front of Spencer's for you. A heartbeat of silence. Oh, man, sorry, Jake said, like he knew what I was talking about. I was shooting hoops with Marco. Good, I interrupted. Bring him along. We ran into Eric, but we still need help carrying our packages home. They're very heavy. Very, very heavy. Yeah, okay, he said easily. We're on our way. See ya, I chirped cheerfully. I hung up. I forced a grin at some woman who was standing behind me, waiting for the phone. I said, guys, totally unreliable. I took a couple of deep breaths. Now for the rest of it. My first stop? The Gap. There was only one way we were going to be able to get Eric out of the mall, and that was the way he'd come in. Through the door, as a human. I put my credit cards through some serious exercise and went rushing back to Spencer's. I'd been gone for 20 minutes. I got back to find Cassie standing before a small group of kids and adults, including the Spencer's clerk. Cassie was lecturing them. She was also sweating and breathing hard. Cassie is not a look-at-me kind of person. Yes, it's the latest thing from KTEL. It's the all-new kitchen droid. It slices. It dices. It can make Julianne's fries. You mean Julianne fries? A woman asked skeptically. Anyone's fries, Cassie said, her voice tinged with desperation. This kitchen droid will even ask, do you want fries with that? So how come it isn't doing all that stuff? Some kid asked. Yeah, turn it on, another said. I saw Cassie's knees do a little wobble. She's definitely not a public speaker. This is just a mock-up, right? I said loudly. Yes, Cassie cried, as if I'd just told her the secret to winning the lottery. Yes, this is a mock-up. This isn't the actual kitchen droid. The actual thing won't be available till... Oh... Around, like, um... In six months, I said. The crowd dispersed. Cassie grabbed my arm and dug in her fingernails. Where have you been? I've been sweating blood. Shopping, I said. And before Cassie could strangle me, I added, For Eric, he needs clothes and a disguise. 
I started yanking a shirt and pants and underwear from the bags. Underwear? Gussie shrilled. She held up a pair. Tommy Hilviger underwear? He's in... She looked around to make sure no one could hear. He's an android. He doesn't need designer underwear. Sorry, they don't have a Walmart at the mall, I hissed. Uh, Rachel? He's an android? Excuse me? He doesn't even need pants, except as a disguise. Oh, point taken. I looked at the briefs. Maybe I'll give them to Jake. Excuse me, Eric said. Can we not discuss what... He shut up immediately. I just called my manager. The voice made me jump. I spun around. The clerk. I just called my manager, he repeated. He said there's no such thing as a kitchen droid. He wants me to find out who you are and call him all security and... The clerk jumped approximately six inches straight up. Oh, look! It's a guy in a gorilla suit, I said, almost laughing as I spotted Jake and a huge, hairy gorilla. An actual gorilla, of course, swaggering into the store. The gorilla, Marco and Morph, was wearing a sandwich board sign. It was crudely done in magic marker. It was an advertisement for a movie. King Kong vs. Goodzilla. Yes, Goodzilla. That's a really realistic gorilla suit. The clerk said suspiciously. Look out! I yelled at the clerk. That lava lamp is about to fall on your head and knock you out. Huh? He looked up, and Marco totally misses cue. I said, it's about to knock you out, I repeated, glaring pointedly at Marco. Oh, sorry, Marco said in thought speak. He reached out one cantam fist and gently tapped the clerk on the head. The clerk went down like a sack of wet cement. What's going on? Jake demanded, once we were sure the clerk was still breathing. It's Eric. He's frozen up, I said. I have clothes for him. Let's dress him fast and get him out of here. It's like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, Cassie said, adjusting the poor clerk's position so he'd be comfortable in his unconsciousness. You know, all frozen up. Let's get clothes on him, Jake snapped, taking charge. It made me a little resentful, also relieved. Marco, pick him up, Jake said. Marco grabbed Eric around the waist, and using his tremendous gorilla strength, shoved arms into sleeves. Underwear? Marco said. You bought him designer underwear? Excuse me, he's an android. We've been through that, okay? Eric said. How about his face? A mask? Jake ran to snatch up some full-head masks. I have Clinton, Gingrich, and a teletoppy. Dipsy, I think. That's not Dipsy, Cassie corrected. That's Tinky Winky. Dipsy's green and has the straight-up thing. Tinky Winky's the one with the triangle. Who's the little red one? Marco wondered. Poe, Cassie said. Oh, yeah. No offense, Eric said. But how on earth have you people managed to avoid getting caught for this long? Meanwhile, as this slightly idiotic conversation was going on, I was dressing my first android. I had guessed right on every size. I am the goddess of shopping, I said, feeling satisfied. The clerk groaned. We need to hurry, Jake said. Pick a face. 
Gingrich or Clinton? A minute later, a gorilla wearing a sandwich board sign for a misspelled movie carried a very trendily dressed Bill Clinton over his shoulder out of the mall. Fortunately, there was a big sale on at the department store, so not many people noticed. At least, that was my explanation then. Chapter 5 We caught a bus to Eric's neighborhood and climbed down, feeling lucky. Feeling way too lucky. Good thing there was nobody on that bus but us, Jake said to me. Marco was farther ahead, loping down the sidewalk with Eric over his shoulder. Yeah. I looked around the quiet, deserted street. Good thing. What are the odds of a gorilla carrying Bill Clinton going unnoticed? We walked out of the mall, and no rent-a-cop tries to stop us? We take a bus, and the driver barely notices, and we're the only passengers? I mean, come on, how likely is that? Not likely, Cassie admitted. So Eric's exposed for an android, but now that he's out of the mall, nobody's around to notice, I said. Weird. Maybe it's not, Cassie said. Maybe everybody's just busy. And we're all just getting a little too paranoid, you know? Maybe, but I didn't think so. My gut instincts were telling me that there was something else going on here. See, I've learned not to trust coincidences. You know what? Jake said grimly. When Marco and I got to the mall, there were electrician's trucks all over the place. I heard one of the workers say something about all the surveillance cameras going dead. I didn't worry about it then. What? No video record of anything that had happened? When the mall was probably crawling with controllers? When our dressing room in the Gap was one of the main entrances to the Yerk pool? Not a chance. Yerks? Jake wondered with a frown. Why expose Eric and then make sure there's no proof? I said. Are we being protected or set up? Cassie asked. So is this some kind of, I don't know, like some weird safe passage or what? Jake mused. Or what? I muttered. Would you mind speeding it up a little? Marco called. I've got about 15 minutes left before I'm eating bananas and dragging my knuckles forever. So, basically no change from your usual self? I called, then wished I hadn't. See, morphing is an incredible weapon, but it's also a double-edged sword. Because if you stay in a morph longer than two hours, you're trapped there forever. Like Tobias. Thinking of Tobias brought back all the morning's confusion. Me, trying to be normal. Falling off the balance beam. Titi, asking me out. I was coming down off the adrenaline high. Normal emotions were resurfacing. Normal emotions like guilt. Guilt for even considering Titi's offer. And as if he'd read my mind, Tobias swooped down and landed in a tree a few houses down on Eric's front lawn. What's going on? He asked. I just spotted you guys getting off the bus. Some reason why Marco's giving Eric a piggyback ride? Jake moved within speaking range of Tobias. Has anyone been following us? No, you're clean. Want to tell me what's going on here? Eric seems to have missed his scheduled maintenance, Marco explained. He's frozen up. I think it's the transmission. What if this is all a setup to find the Chi? Cassie asked. Nobody's been following you, Tobias repeated. Besides, why bother? If the Yurks catch any one of us, they'll get all the answers they need very quickly. 
He was right. If the Yurks ever made a controller of one of us, all our secrets would be out there. I don't know, Cassie said, shaking her head. I think you were right, Rachel. There's something weird about all this. And the minute Jake opened Eric's front door and we stepped inside, I knew it was going to get even weirder. Chapter 6 Mr. King, Eric's father, was sitting on the couch. He had a TV remote in one hand and a pretzel rod in the other. He looked like any other father on any other lazy day. Except that his human hologram was gone, so he was sitting there like some weird android parody of normalcy. And, of course, he was no more Eric's father than I was. He was just another equally eternal android playing a role. So it's not just Eric, I said. No, Mr. King said, without moving. All the chi have been immobilized. Holographic emitters down. Motor centers down. Logic centers, speech synthesizers, and chi-net, all functioning normally. Chi-net? Marco asked. Inter-chi communication, Eric said. We've had our own internet since the days when your ancestors were still drawing pictograms on pyramid walls. Yeah? Cool. AOL. Androids online. But why is this happening? Jake said. How? We don't know, Mr. King said. Marco placed Eric on the sofa and started to demorph. Within minutes, the gorilla had shrunk and its coarse black hair had been sucked back into Marco's human skin. You must have some idea what could do this. I thought you guys were indestructible, Jake said. He sounded a little annoyed, which was okay. I was annoyed too. We were used to the chi being so in control, so capable. Plus, it had just not been a good morning so far. The ship, Eric said. The ship? The Pemolite ship. The Pemolite ship? Marco echoed. What Pemolite ship? The one we hid in a deep ocean canyon thousands of years ago when we arrived on Earth, Eric explained. It should have been safe from intruders. The atmospheric pressure down there will crush a human to the size of a guinea pig. Uh, how deep is that? I said. Fifteen thousand feet, Mr. King said. Marco whistled. Almost three miles down. We all looked at him, surprised. Hey, he said. I told you before, I don't sleep through all my classes. Our Chinet connects us through the ship's onboard computer, Mr. King said. That would be the only way to disable our systems. So what? Somebody found the ship and activated the controls? Tobias mused, perched on top of the TV and preening his right wing feathers. That still doesn't tell us who or why. Or what they hope to get out of it, I added. Or how to reverse it, Jake said. Is it even reversible? Yes, that part would be simple. But reaching the computer would be a very dangerous undertaking, Mr. King said. Being a paralyzed android isn't exactly safe, I pointed out. Especially since someone obviously knows you're here and vulnerable. What about the other chi? Cassie asked. All the same, Eric said. All have lost holograms and lost the capacity to move. Most are safe, out of sight, but two are presently at high risk. 
the first works as a janitor in a nuclear research facility. When his hologram failed, he locked himself in the safe the facility uses to store radioactive material. At least that sounds secure, Jake suggested. Only until the ship changes, Mr. King said. At ten o'clock each night, all areas of the facility are inspected before the night crew takes over. Whoever opens that safe is going to be exposed to a highly advanced, and non-human, technology. If the Yurks get hold of our technology, Eric began. Don't even think it, Marco muttered. Are we supposed to get into the nuclear plant? I asked. No, Mr. King said. It's maximum security. You wouldn't be able to get the chi out undetected. What about the other chi you said was in a bad situation? Jake asked calmly. Jake always sounds calmest when he's most worried. She's in more immediate danger, Mr. King said. Her human name is Lourdes. She's been living the low life, Eric said. She's a homeless street person. A what? Why? Cassie demanded. We need access to all levels of society to track Yurk activity, Eric said. And don't feel too bad. You have to remember that we Chi live many lives. In her previous human guise, Lourdes was a movie actress. Very successful. She's been sleeping in an abandoned building. Abandoned except that half the building is being used to store stolen goods. It's sort of run by a fence named Strake, Mr. King continued. We suspect he's a controller. A controller who fences stolen goods? I asked, half laughing. Yes, Eric said. It puts him in touch with a broad range of the criminal element. Wow, I said. Not all glamour being an android, is it? Tell me about it, Eric said. I'm passing as a junior high school kid. Point taken. Where's this Lourdes person now? I asked. She's made it to a closet under the front stairs, Mr. King said. There's a complication. We have information that the police are going to raid the place. The raid will occur in about 20 minutes, and we're certain there's at least one human controller assigned to that SWAT team. 20 minutes? I nearly shrieked. Time is short, Mr. King said apologetically. Will you understand that we cannot ask you to help rescue this Chi? There is a high likelihood of your being hurt. There's a high likelihood of us getting hurt every minute of the day, Marco said, exasperated. Where? Jake demanded. Eric gave us the address. Landmarks, I said impatiently. We'll be flying in. Tobias, get axe and follow us, Jake rapped. No! I snatched open the door and Tobias bolted. The abandoned house backs the railroad tracks. It's brick, surrounded by condemned buildings, and close to a junkyard, Mr. King said. Be careful, it's a bad neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. We're real worried about getting mugged, I said with a laugh. So, let me get this straight, Marco said. We have to rescue a paralyzed Chi from a stolen goods warehouse before the controllers get her. Then, we have to dive down to the bottom of the ocean, find the Pemelite ship, somehow get inside, and turn off the signal before 10 o'clock tonight, so the Yurks don't get the Chi in the safe at the nuclear waste facility. Is that pretty much it? Or do we have to discover the Fountain of Youth and come up with a low-fat cookie that tastes as good as Mrs. Fields, too. Tick-tock, I said with a grin. Tick-tock. You are mentally ill, Marco said. 
There's one more thing, Eric said. The Pemelite ship's signal will have been picked up by orbiting your spacecraft. They may already be down there waiting for you. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode. Uh, got some real, real serious stakes this time, huh? Uh, they don't usually have this sort of, like, hard time limit. I don't know how they're going to... I don't know what time it is in the day, actually. I guess it's a Saturday. Uh, no, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, yeah, okay, it is a Saturday, because Rachel was at a gymnastics club, not at school. Okay. So, you know, it's probably, like, around lunchtime. Um... But that's not that much time to get to the bottom of the ocean and and stop a Pemolite ship before before 10 p.m. So I don't remember this one. I'm excited to see uh, both where they get a giant squid uh, and how how they're going to get out of this one. In the meantime, uh, we got some messages. One coming in uh, on Tumblr. I think this one's new. My memory is so bad. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com, and this is, uh, Willis again, who writes in, Haven't finished the new app, but the, he didn't have to turn into a red-tailed hawk at the end, had me. Gave me goosebumps, and I think I audibly said, damn. Uh, yeah, I, about, (laughs) the same way it was about time that, uh, Cassie and Jake kiss, it's about time that, uh, Rachel and Tobias figure this out, you know? Um, and this is step one in that, which is, yeah, he's a bird. Um, and that's that has some logistical issues. R.I.P. Rachel, you would have hated living in the modern day, because uh, you wouldn't have been able to finish any movies with Tobias. Their movies are so long now, he would have to leave before the final act, and he wouldn't know how the movie ended. Uh, which is a real shame and not a fun way to have a date. So at least, uh, they could have, they could at least see, still see movies, um, and him ha- make it out. In most cases, man, I miss the tight 90. Uh, bring that back. These like two and a half hour movies, too much, too much. Uh, but I also have a email that's automorphscast at gmail.com from uh, Lucas of the Ballad of the Seven Dice, who's written back in. Uh, he writes, Hey, Daniel, I've been meaning to write. I've been meaning to write in for a bit now, but life has been keeping me busy. So a bit of a callback to that previous book with our accordion friends. You were talking about that one fight scene and wondering why it felt like it was uh, felt like it was just sped along and not as great as the other fights. And then Jake's spiral of thought. I think what they were trying to do was give you a bit of realistic appro- a bit of a realistic approach to combat, though I guess it didn't translate well. Real fighting is dirty. It is chaotic, and you don't know what is going on half the time. K. A. Applegate is pretty open about not glorifying war and the like. So I think they were trying to show how it wasn't always, quote, hero time. When Jake was flying back and spiraling, I, uh, I think it was because the fight was so frightening and he was left alone with his anxiety-ridden PTSD thoughts, so he was not able to get out of the loop of thinking his friends were dead. The other thing I wanted to write in about was the mind sync I experienced while walking my dog, Astra, and listening to Audiomorphs. During your outro, you said Del Toro Quest at the same time I said it out loud, thinking of YA series. I love that series, and I'm sure my Project Field self will be doing auto edi- will be doing audio editing three or four years from now. Hit me up if you ever want some editing and voices for that. Sorry for the long email. Keep up the great work, and looking forward to hearing more. Attached some pics of our morning walk. 
attach some pics of our morning river walk. Excuse me. Uh, going to try my hand at a chi- at being a chi technician. I hear there's a market for it now. Thanks, Lucas, chi technician. Thank you so much for writing in, Lucas. Um, let's start off with your dog, Astro, who is a very cute dog. I'm looking at these photos now. I'm sorry you guys can't see it, but this is a grade A dog. Those are some floppy long limbs. I don't know what kind of dog that is. I'm not good at dog breeds, but uh, those limbs are much too long for that body, and that makes it cute. Um, circling back now to your thoughts on the Howler fight from the previous book. Um, I appreciate the perspective, but for me, uh, how, how do I want to... So I'm trying to gather my thoughts. Uh, I'm, a, I'm the type of person who I... I have to speak out loud to kind of order, arrange my thoughts. But um, I don't think that I I feel like almost paradoxically uh, by glazing over the fight, it sanitizes the violence um, more so than usual. Um, and, And I don't think that um, this sort of like fast chaotic action is antithetical to uh, uh, is not the opposite of quote unquote hero time right I think that you can have extreme violence without a glorifying it or be using it as the sort of prop to make this heroic moment um, I'm thinking of uh, like the uh, shark, the shark dolphin fight when they first morph dolphins and Marco gets messed up real bad. Um, that was not written as a like, uh, triumphant moment when they beat back the sharks and saved, uh, Marco's life. That was like a very scary, uh, they somehow got out with the skin of their teeth and Marco is basically, uh, vivisected and dying, right? Um, it's, it's horrifying. It, it's very shocking. Um, and that's kind of what I've come to expect out of Animorphs is like being unflinching in the face of what violence actually looks like. And so when you get passages like, and then a Dracon beam fired and I saw Cassie's bird form crumple and it's this very kind of distant, uh, I, I think you did well describing it as a, uh, dirty and chaotic. Uh, I think there's a way to do that. I don't think this one quite landed it, um, if that was their intent. And, uh, I'll omit some biases here. I, (laughs) I don't like, uh, quote unquote, realistic fights, um, especially not in visual mediums, um, you know, television and movies. I think, um, it always does kind of a bad job at, at, setting the stakes and tension of the fight. Um, and uh, it just looks bad. You know, it's not fun to watch. Um, but I also understand that uh, a, a lot of fights, especially a lot of fights I enjoy, are a showcase of action choreography. They're not meant to um, push a, like, not, I guess it is an agenda, but, you know, that makes it sound so duplicitous uh because of you know how our political pundits talk but you know Kay applegate has a thesis right about war and about violence and so her uh 
action scenes reflect that thesis and and work to support that thesis. And I understand that many, most movies, their thesis is not, you know, how horrible violence is, how horrible it is to be in hand-to-hand combat. It's like, wow, cool, watch this guy punch this other guy. And um, it's fun to watch, sorry. Um, but yeah, no. Um, I, I certainly see where you're coming from, and I can certainly see that being a version of intent. Um, but as you also say, um, it, I don't think it translates well. Um, it, it just felt very... Mm, to me um totally uh, agree with the the last part of that where you talk about the ptsd uh, thought spiral that that was fine for me um it's just you know we have seen in much greater detail many of his friends uh very near death and and so this one felt a little uh shallow in comparison i guess is is where i landed on that also, yeah, loved love Del Toro Quest. Um, good stuff. That's why I mentioned it. It's one of the books, one of the book series I remember um, from way back when, right? Uh, there's also one called like The Seventh Tower, maybe. Was that Garth Nix? I get there were so many books like that, right? Um, Del Toro Quest was the one where, oh, wait, no. You know what? I remember the covers of Del Toro Quest. I remember reading Del Toro Quest. I don't quite remember what Del Toro Quest was about. I know it was a fantasy. I'm I'm picturing a map in my mind. This wasn't the one with the codex and the uh and the spirits from another plane, right? That was seventh that was the Garth Nick Seventh Tower. Um if you were if you were a big fan of either of these, write in and let me know if I'm right or wrong. Um but yeah, there's as as was my point, there were a lot of really cool kind of pulp, hundred fifty page um YA or middle grade I'm, i don't know book genres sorry um but whatever that specific moment in the late 90s early 2000s there's a lot of those um and so any any direction i want to pick uh moving forward i think there are options is, is the point of that <laughs> um losing the plot a little bit so let's bring it back thank you all for writing and if you'd like to write in i already mentioned those two you can also do that on my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse, like apocalypse, put the D in the middle. And of course, you can uh, check out my Twitter. That's at Audiomorphs. It's also where you should check if I'm ever late publishing an episode, such as possibly next week. So the plan next week is that business as usual, and I'll get the episode up. But it is also uh, my birthday next week. And so if it doesn't happen, it's because I've been partying too hard. But it's probably fine. Um, expect it, and if it doesn't happen, uh, check the Twitter, and I'll probably be like, sorry, I partied too hard. (laughs) Um, And that's all I got for you this week, so thank you all for listening, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.